of us as small as we are. Well, and there you touched the microphone. Thank God. Pray that you'd bless the rest of the service now. Remove all the distractions, the hindrances, anything that might hinder what you want to do in our hearts. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Brother done something or God did. I don't know if it was or both. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me just uh, preach to you a little thought here uh, on this, leaving a godly legacy. Now, I want you to stay with me. I got a particular point I want to get to at the end, but it'll take us a minute to get to it, all right? And so um, I actually want to show you something here through, through the main part of the message that I noticed many years ago when I was just reading through my Bible that something that just kept coming up. And after I began to ponder on it, I'll be honest with you, I was surprised a little. You ever get surprised about how God is about certain things? And, and uh, you just think, man, Lord, that seems a little odd that you keep saying that. And so that's what this was. Now, the background, obviously, is that Solomon has died and Solomon has left his son Rehoboam uh, as the new king. Now, in the first 15 verses of this chapter, Rehoboam makes a couple of horrible decisions, one in particular. And in verse 16, the kingdom splits. Now, we read in verse 20, but in 16, uh, the kingdom is split because of... Now, God had said it was going to. That's the real reason it did. But in the practical world... It was because of this decision by Rehoboam. Now, two tribes ultimately stay with Rehoboam, but the other ten form their own nation and name Jeroboam as their first king, which is what we read in verse 20. Now, in the end of the chapter, Jeroboam, in my Bible, it's got little subheadings throughout it, and it says there above verse 21, Jeroboam's golden calves. So what he does at the end of the chapter, Jeroboam institutes brand new religious system in this new nation. He doesn't want anybody going back to Jerusalem. He don't want them going there for anything. So he sets up a golden calf, one in the south, right at the southern border, one in the north, and the idea is whichever one you're closest to, you can go worship there. But if you're headed down toward Jerusalem, don't go all the way to Jerusalem. Just stop right here and worship at this golden calf. <laughs> so he institutes this brand new worship with new gods, new priests, new sacrifices. And in chapter 13, God sends a young prophet uh, up from the southern kingdom and he sends him there to cry against all of that wickedness. Now, I don't have time to read all that and preach all of that, but many of you know that story where he comes up and, and the king raises his hand against him and God shrivels up the hand of the king right there. And, and uh, that king, it's amazing, he had all these new priests that he had anointed, all these new prophets he had anointed. But when that hand shriveled up, you know who he asked to pray for him? That prophet of God, that's who he asked. He, he didn't ask any of them new priests. He said, oh, will you pray for me? I got to be honest, that young prophet's a pretty good boy uh, because I would have I just said, God, shrink, shrink his head up too, praise God. You know, he, had all, he was raising his hand against this boy and God shriveled that hand, but he prayed and God healed his hand and God sent the sign of breaking up the altar and all of that stuff. And God shows that, that he was displeased with Jeroboam in all of this worship. But what happens if you look at chapter 13 now, verse 33, it didn't phase Jeroboam that God did all that. The Bible said after this thing, after all that with the young prophet, after all of that with the altar being broken, all those things, and his hand shriveling up and then coming back, it says after all this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places, Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests and of the high places. And this thing, look at this, became sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. And so what it's saying there is, 
God was going to eventually let them be taken into captivity, and we know that he did. Not only that northern kingdom, but eventually even the southern kingdom of Judah were all taken into captivity as a judgment of God. But Jeroboam here particularly has my attention. He was a very wicked man, and he led the nation into this blatant idolatry. He led the nation, ten tribes, blatantly against God. God sends the preacher to warn him and does miracles to show him. He ignores all of that and continues down this path of leading the nation into idolatry. Now, it is not a surprise to read about a wicked ruler in the Bible, is it? It's not a surprise to read about a wicked ruler in our day either, is it? I don't have time to get into all of that, but how many you know there's some crazy people that get in charge in this world and in our country, and we got some right now. We got some right now. I can't tell if they're crazy wicked or just crazy crazy, some of them, and uh, they can't think clearly, some of them. I'm trying to be very respectful here, but uh, it's not a surprise to read about a wicked ruler. We know about that. So what surprised me in my reading was how many times after this that I would come across phrases something like this, where the Bible would say something like, that a certain man walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Or it would say something like this, <clears throat> that certain person departed not from the sins of Jeroboam which made Israel to sin. It just keeps coming. Now I'm going to run through some just to, just to show you. You can turn to them real quick if you want to. We're just kind of going to run through kings here. But I just want you to see what I'm talking about. Chapter 15, verse 26, it's talking about Jeroboam's son Nadab. And it says this, He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. Now let me just time out and say this. Now, now Jeroboam didn't make any of these people sin. Everybody chooses for themselves. We understand that. But our influence does matter, and God obviously is paying attention if I'm a bad influence and a bad example. And so I'm not justifying any of these people's actions, but what has my attention is how that God is hanging on in his own heart. God is to what Jeroboam did, and he just keeps talking about it. Chapter 16, verse 26, talking about a man named Amri. He said, he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin wherewith he, talking about Jeroboam, made Israel to sin. So God keeps saying these kings are walking in the way of Jeroboam. And then he talks about his sin, Jeroboam's sin, and the way that he walked. Chapter 16, verse 31. Ahab. Now there's a name some of us know. The Bible says that it seemed a light thing for him, verse 31, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Now we know about Ahab and Jezebel. They're, they're two of the most wicked that ever lived. Two of the most wicked. The Bible actually says an interesting thing in this context. Now Ahab dies in chapter 22, but he was able to reign for 22 years. And Ahab and Jezebel had been unbelievably wicked. They had murdered the prophets of God. And in one place it even said this, that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than anybody before him. Now you would think, okay, that means Ahab's worse than Jeroboam. That's what it sounds like, right? Shake your head if you understand that. I mean, if he done more to provoke the Lord to anger than anybody before him, then he, pre he did more to provoke the Lord than even Jeroboam did. So I remember when I was looking at this, I thought, okay, now it's going to be interesting to see if God switches gears, and instead of reminding us of Jeroboam all the way through, he starts saying Ahab. I was interested in that. Well, as a matter of fact, in chapter 22, verse 52, we see Ahab's son, Ahaziah, and the Bible does say this, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, that's Ahab, and in the way of his mother, that's Jezebel. And so when I read that, I thought, oh, there you go. He was worse than Jeroboam. So finally, God's going to let Jeroboam off the hook. But except the rest of the verse says, and 
in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. You know what? When you start going on through the kings, he jumps right back on the Jeroboam boat. He mentions Ahab with his own son, but even then he says, and the way of Jeroboam. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 says, Jehoram, nevertheless he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 29, it talks about Jehu. Jehu is a good Old Testament example. He's a good man, did a good work for the Lord for the most part. Uh, he destroyed Ahab, he destroyed Jezebel, he destroyed all their family at the command of the Lord, and he is known for his zeal for God. He's the one that said, come see my zeal for the Lord. He's the one about whom it said he driveth furiously. They could tell who he was just by how he drove, praise God. He is a wild man. Jehu, but it also says this, from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them to wit the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. So Jehu did a lot of good things that God told him to do, but he did not get rid of those golden calves. And he still allowed that worship in the land of those golden calves. And so even after this good king, God still brings up the sins of Jeroboam. Now listen, that's 98 years earlier that that happened. So for 98 years, God is still talking about Jeroboam and the sins that he did and how he started the nation down that path. Now, he, uh, uh, now I, want you to say, I want to say something to you right here. This is not us holding a grudge. I'm not holding a grudge against Jeroboam. God is holding a grudge against Jeroboam. The Holy Spirit is still charging a portion of all these sins of these new generations to the account of Jeroboam. You know what I'd say? He made a lasting impression. Jeroboam made a lasting impression. There's a pastor from Australia. He's been a missionary now in, in uh, Thailand for many years. His name's Wayne Shemish. I heard him preaching and teaching one time, and he, he started talking about how that uh, we are not judged immediately after we die. You know, it is appointed to men once to die and after this is judgment, but our judge, like the saved, is going to the judgment seat of Christ. That's not right when we die. That is in the future. And you know what? The, the ones who are die lost and go to hell, they're going to be brought out of hell and they'll be judged at the great white throne judgment. And he was talking about how that we're not judged immediately after we die. And here's what he said. He said, that's because your record's not complete yet. Just because you're dead doesn't mean your record is complete. And he started talking about examples of people whose sins outlast them. And, uh, you know, just this past year, my, my sister-in-law passed away from a drug overdose. And you know, you think about all the people in, involved in getting those drugs into her hands. And you think about a drug dealer, for example. Let's just think about him. And he, he lives that life. And let's say that he lives and then he dies. And if he's unsaved, he goes to hell. You know, he's not done yet because his, his work is still out there wreaking havoc in the lives of people. And so there's still score being kept by God even after he's gone the tallies are still going on there. That's why he's not judged immediately because it's not ready yet. Now, the good side of that is that's the same thing about a Christian. Somebody's Christian testimony is not over just because they die. We've had, we got tomorrow a funeral of a family in our church. That'll be the third one this week. And, uh, you know, I did one yesterday, and the man was a good man and had a good testimony, and we was able to rejoice in that. Well, listen, his, his record's not complete, man. His testimony's still going. His influence is still going. He's still getting stuff to his credit. Think about that. And so Jeroboam here, that's what's going on in his life. His life is over. But God is still keeping a tally. That impression is a lasting impression. And my life and your life is leaving a lasting 
impression. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to, uh, you know, go through all the different ones that this still applies to. But just take my word for it that there's seven more kings of Israel about whom it says something like this. Now, I'm in Second Kings, and I want you to look at chapter 17 of Second Kings, chapter 17, verse 22. So seven more kings come along and do wickedly, and God says he either mentions the sin or the way of Jeroboam. Chapter 17, verse 22, For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. They departed not from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And so there finally came a time that the grace and the mercy of God uh, in this life right here, it wore out, and he allowed the nation of Israel to be taken into captivity. Now, even at that point, he's still giving credit, if you will, not good credit, but he's still crediting Jeroboam for him having even to judge the nation. Now, let me tell you how long it's been, 219 years after his death. That's a lasting impression, isn't it? It's a lasting impression. You don't want to make that kind. You say, preacher, what does this say to us? Well, here's what it says. We ought to take very seriously the kind of lives we live. You know, there's a lot of people now that it's just like, well, it's my life. I can do with it what I want to. And you can't tell me what to do. And by the way, I can't tell you what to do. Now, the Bible can tell us what we ought to do. But even God's not going to force you. You have a free will. You can do what you want. But we do need to understand that it is not just my life and that's all that matters. No. And our teenagers and our children, they need to understand, what's my life? I ought to be able to, no, wait a minute. No man liveth, no man dieth to himself. We're all leaving impressions of some sort when our time is gone. And that's what we need to understand, that, that God is keeping his own records. You may say, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. But God's paying attention as to whether or not you're hurting anybody. Well, I mean, I know this ain't right, and I, I just, but I don't want anybody else to do it. And, well, you've got to be careful about that because, one, you don't know who's watching, and you don't know who knows some of this stuff. But God in heaven, who, by the way, we were shouting about the fact that he's the God of the details a while ago and that he sees us and cares about us, but don't forget, that means he sees us. You say, well, he don't see me over on the hills. No, he sees you on the hills. If he can chase the last fly out, then he's watching me when nobody's looking. And so you got to keep that in mind. I thought about the Kennedy family, the, the Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, that Kennedy family. You know, they made their living uh, with the alcohol industries, how they made their fortune. And when the country was voting on whether or not to sell alcohol, they already had ships full of it sitting out in the water waiting for the vote to go through. And as soon as the vote went through, they docked those ships and the Kennedy family fortune became what it is. I wonder if God is still adding to old Joe Kennedy's account. Every time some family's destroyed by alcohol. I mean, he, well, if he wasn't saved, and I hope he was saved, but if he wasn't saved, then he's in hell. But listen, just because he's already in hell doesn't mean it's all over. No, God's still keeping the record because our impression goes on. We have a lasting impression. Now, I don't want to leave you here, and I've got a couple more things, not like we're just finished, but I don't want to leave you with this thought being quite so heavy. So I want to close by assuring you that the same principle applies to those who try and live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Yes, now this Jeroboam thing's pretty heavy. You think, my goodness, God's still keeping credit. He's giving him negative credit for all the sins of those that came after him. Yeah, even after Ahab and Jezebel. But let me say something to you. God's keeping credit for those that are trying to live for God too, even long after they're gone. And you don't have to be perfect. David wasn't perfect, was he? 
matter of fact, God on purpose writes down some of David's major mistakes. And we know that he messed up terribly in that area of Bathsheba. But for the most part, his life was lived pleasing to God. And even before and after that sin, he's called a man after God's own heart. So yes, you don't have to be perfect to get good credit with God that can make a lasting impression. And listen, the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit said about him in 1 Kings 15 verse 5. David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and he turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And so God didn't wipe away that, but God looked at his life as a whole and said that David was a good man. He had a heart after my heart. And for the most part of his life, he did that which was right. And God continued to keep record of that. You say, how do you, how do you know that? Because listen, you know how every time there was a bad king, God would say he went after the sins of Jeroboam. I just showed that to you. Did you know just about every time that Judah, that southern kingdom, every time Judah had a good king... God would say something like this. He did that which was right inside the Lord according to all that David his father did. How about that? In 2 Kings 18 verse 3, it's talking about Hezekiah. You know how long that had been? 278 years since David was dead. Come on now. 278 years David's been gone and Hezekiah started doing right and God said, oh, look at that. He's doing right just like old David did 278 years ago. God was still writing some good things on the account of a man who had been gone two and a half centuries. Hey, in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, he's talking about Josiah and he said, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. Hey, listen to me now. I told you that Jeroboam one, it was 219 years when they went into captivity. But listen to this, David's still getting good credit 354 years after he's gone. So a lot longer than Jeroboam's negative stuff lasted, God let David's good stuff last. That's a lasting impression. That's the kind we want. Isn't that a blessing? You think about, by the way, you, I think about this church, uh, 1887. You know what's going on tonight? There's still some credit going to some of them that helped get it started. I mean, all them years ago, some people helped get it started, and they labored, they prayed, and they're already long gone and in heaven, but God's over there writing some stuff tonight, saying, boy, there's some good men getting help in there tonight. Thank God they put a building there. Thank God there's a church there. Hey, I'm telling you, we're making a lasting impression, and well, I'm going to make one like David did. And the challenge tonight is to us men, what kind are you going to leave? You're going to leave one. Yeah, you're going to leave one. Amen. You're going to leave one. What kind are you going to leave? Can I show you one other scripture tonight? And I want to I show you the legacy, chapter, Genesis chapter 39. I want to show you the legacy that I want to leave. Somebody said tonight, I don't remember who it was, was talking about we don't have to have our name in lights. I believe it was the pastor. And we don't. And God knows us whether our names are in lights or not. That's not the kind of legacy we ought to want to live, but leave. But this one is. I want to show you here from these verses what I'd like for my wife or my kids or the people that I've had the honor to serve. I've been the pastor 19 years now. I've been at the church 28 years working in the Christian school, different things. And if my time come and they had my funeral, you know, and, and more, more important than even what people would say, if the Holy Spirit was going to write some stuff about my life like he did David's, like he did Jeroboam's, I'll tell you what I'd like for it to be said. I want to show you right here. Look at Genesis 39 verse 1. Joseph, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. 
And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of, of his master, the Egyptian. Look at this. And his master saw. Now, the, this is the Holy Spirit's writing this. So the Holy Spirit sees it. But, but this Egyptian saw it. The master saw that the Lord was with him. If you underline in your Bible, you ought to underline those words. The Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Potiphar is watching this little Jewish boy. And he comes into Potiphar's house and he's made a servant. And just very quickly Potiphar notices something about his life. That basically everything he does was going well. And he understood. Potiphar had enough sense to understand this is not normal. This boy is above his years. His wisdom seems above his years. His knowledge seems above his years. Uh, his decisions seem to go better than almost anybody's. And finally, Potiphar even came to the conclusion that there's something supernatural going on with that boy right there. Maybe he didn't look too good. Maybe he didn't dress too good. He's definitely been sold into slavery, so his life ain't going too good. But here's what Potiphar said. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord is with that boy. Now, if I'm going to have a legacy, I want that one. I want the phrase, the Lord was with him. Now, I'm a, I, listen, I grew up in the hills of Kentucky. I'm, I'm a country boy. I didn't get to go to Bible college. I, I didn't even know they existed, to be honest with you. I went to a secular college to be a math teacher and went to our church to work in our school. Some A year later, got called to preach, and then we just went through terrible turmoil for five or six years. And I, I just, you know, people say, sometimes young preachers will come to our youth meeting or something, and they'll say, preacher, how'd you get this church? And I'd start laughing, and I'd say, you don't want to get the church the way I got the church. And they say, what do you mean? i say, I just didn't die. That's how I got to church. We had crazy years of unbelievable turmoil, and God just had me stay and stay and stay, and then eventually he had me be the pastor. And so I just didn't die, and I didn't leave. So that's how I got it. Uh, but you don't want to go through what we went through to get where we are. But what I'm telling you is uh, I didn't get the, the opportunity for college and all these different things. That Some of it I wish I could have gotten. I've done some Bible Institute stuff since then. But my point is this. There's a lot of things people could say about me that would be true. Negative things, you know, like he's a little bit crazy, and I am a little bit crazy, just to be honest with you. Back in our day, they didn't, they didn't say ADHD, and they didn't say all that stuff back in my day. They just said, oh, he's hyper. Now, how many of you remember that word? He's hyper. And the medicine was, they just whacked you in the head. Oh, he's hyper, but he'll get it, we'll get it. And I thought, yeah, we'll get it. I'm going to be twitching my whole life because you hit me all the time. But guess what? That's the way it was, and I'm still that way. I was, I was sitting, uh, I was in Buffalo, New York, preaching last week, and I was sitting uh, beside the pastor's son. And the pastor's son's about 15, 16, and he's real wound up. He's hyper, I'm certain. And he's real wound up. And so me and him were sitting here. We were in an old pastor's house visiting with the pastor I was preaching for. We were just visiting this old pastor whose wife had had a stroke, trying to encourage him. So the pastor was sitting in the middle with a guitar singing. I'm sitting in a chair behind him. His son's sitting right there. And just like I always have been, I'm just sitting there like this. I'm playing the drums while he's playing that song and everything like that. Finally, the pastor turned his head around, and you could see it on his face. He was about to, he was about to yell at his son. He just knew it was his son because his son's the same way. And he looked, and I went, oh, sorry. That's, all right. That's me. That's me. He's like, well, I was about to yell at my boy. I'm sorry. It wasn't your boy. That's me. And so, you know, people can say, man, he's crazy. That's all right. They won't say that's all right. They say, he's country. That's all right. I'll take that. I'm okay with that. They might, they might come to our church time. We have, we have a pretty good-sized choir. We, you know, we call it the adult choir. The only problem with calling it the adult choir is that it's got adults in it, but it's also got teenagers in it. It's also got children in it. It's also got mamas holding their babies in it. And uh, now I'm going to be honest with you, I grew up in a tiny country church, and I just thought everybody did that, you know. 
And I, I was interviewing, we have a Christian school, and I was interviewing a boy one time for a, for a math position, and he was coming from a church up north, New Jersey, and he'd been in a Bible college up there, been in some big churches and stuff, and he spent the weekend, and we were interviewing him, and right before he was leaving, we were sitting at a restaurant eating, and I said, well, I've asked you about everything I'd like to ask you. I said, you got any questions for me? And he goes, well, yeah, he said, uh, what's the deal with those babies in the, in the, in the choir? <laughs> That's what I did, brother. I was like, I was like, what do you mean? He goes, like there's mamas holding babies in, in the choir. And I said, don't they do that everywhere? You know what he said? He said, I ain't never seen that. It's like he had seen an alien. He was tore all to pieces about it. And uh, you know what? I, I don't have a problem with people say their church is so wild. Their church is a little weird. Their church is a little strange. That preacher's a little crazy. He's a little bit country. You know, I don't care if I say all that, and most of that's going to be true. As long as at the end, as long as if at the end they would say, but I'll tell you what, the Lord's with you. See, my own kids, I, I, I wouldn't care if, if standing around my, my, my casket, if they're talking to my children, and they start asking them questions, and they start saying, well, Daddy, was, he was a maniac sometimes, and, and sometimes Daddy was a little grumpy, and sometimes Daddy was this, and, and some of that, all of that probably is going to be true at different times. And I'd be all right with them saying all of that. But I tell you what I hope my kids will say. But I hope when it's all said and done, they'll say, but I tell you this, God was with my daddy. That's what I want them to say. Hey, they might say, well, that church this or that church that. But if they'll finish it by saying, but I tell you something, God was in that place. That's what matters to me. That's the legacy I want. Potiphar said, I don't know everything about this boy, but I know this. The Lord is with him. Hey, look in verse 23 of the same chapter, chapter 39, verse 23. He's still in Egypt, but now he's in the prison. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now the keeper of the prison saw the same thing. Now he's been accused of something awful, by the way. Right? He's been accused of something terrible. That's why he's in the prison. But it didn't take that prison keeper very long to understand something. I know what he's been accused of. I know what they're saying. But I'm going to tell you what I see. I see the Lord is with him. Hey, and that ought to be the legacy that we want to leave as a daddy. That ought to be the legacy we want to leave as a grandpa. Hey, as a preacher, as a, as a saved man in these crazy days. Hey, they ought to be able to say whatever they want and much of it will be true as long as at the end they feel compelled in their heart to say, but I'll tell you this, the Lord was with him. That's all that's going to matter. And would it be good if the Holy Ghost was writing about you? And listen, he had to write some bad stuff about David. And that statement, the Lord was with him, in exactly that phrase is only written about four men besides the Lord Jesus himself. Four men, including uh, Joseph here, Samuel, David. How about that? So the Holy Spirit had to write those bad things about David. He had to. God wanted us to see that they were human and they made mistakes. He also wanted us to see that you can get up from your mistakes and still go on and serve God. And he had to write all of that. But you know what else he wrote over and over? But the Lord was with him. The Lord, And he's going to have to write some bad stuff about me. If he were to write a record of my life, well, he's going to write about times when as a husband I didn't do it right and I didn't say it right. He's going to write times about when I was a dad, I did not do it right, I did not say it right. Unfortunately, he's going to write it about being a pastor that I did a lot of things wrong. And even preaching, you ain't going to preach it all right all the time. And he might have to write all that, but I'll tell you what I want him to write. He can write all of that and it'll all be true, no doubt. I just hope at the end, he says, but the Lord was with him. And that's my prayer. And that ought to be your goal. 
And that's what this world needs, fellas. That's what our families need in 2023. The world's just getting crazier and crazier. And we can fight it and we should and stand against everything we should stand against and everything, do it all in the right spirit and the right way. But what we need more than anything is we need the Lord was with them. Now let me say something to you. If you're saved and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He'll never leave you nor forsake you. But I'm not talking about just that. I'm not talking about just the promised presence of God. I'm talking about that manifest presence of God where His hand is visibly working in you and through you to the point that others can see it. Not for your glory. No, no, not for our glory. But for His glory. But true nonetheless. It, uh, you know, they might not say or they're never going to say about me that I have the, the greatest Bible knowledge or that I have the, the most magnificent outlines or that I'm the most eloquent of speakers. They're never going to say that stuff. But I hope. I hope there'll be some people that have been in places where I stood and preached that when somebody says, you ever heard of that Tony Shirley guy? Now, they may just start laughing. They may just start, well, I'll tell you what he said one time. That our church would say, I'll tell you one time he tripped and fell down the stairs right while, while we was having church. That's true. I tripped and it's on the internet. You can see it. Millions have seen it. I don't know if millions, but a lot have seen it. And uh, uh, they'll laugh about that and they'll say, boy, he says crazy stuff sometimes. Well, all of that will be true. But I hope that they'll also say, but I'll tell you something. Maybe not all the time, but every now and then, God was with him. But more than even the church, I want my children. I want my family. Because they see us in our worst. Come on. We, we, do, we do pretty good most of the time around the church house. Our families are the ones that see us at our worst. And so the ones that see me at my worst, they're the ones that I really hope when they were to list all those things would still say at the end, but the Lord was with him. And that'll be worth it all. And you talk about something they can be proud of. Them kids and them grandkids, you give them a daddy and a grandpa that's got God on their life. Maybe, they, maybe they're not the most skilled singer, but every time they sing, God touches somebody's heart. Maybe they're not the best Bible teacher, but every time they stood and teach, taught, God was there. Maybe they don't do any of that, but just in their daily life. Hey, maybe this, wouldn't it be wonderful if our kids believed that when we pray, God hears us. I've had a few times, by the grace of God, I had a few times, and I, I, I hesitate to even say this. You don't, you know, you ain't, I'm not bragging in any way, shape, or form, but my teen daughter, now she's 21, there's been a couple times that she has, she has reached out and said, Daddy, will you pray about this? Will you pray about this? Will you pray about this? And I heard her and her friend one time talking and said, if, you know, like something like if he prays about it, you know, it's, something's going to happen. I, I'd rather have her say that than anything. I'd rather have that than, you know, Daddy gave me the nicest car when I turned 16, which I didn't do. <laughs> the car she's driving right now has 200,000 miles on it, praise God. Maybe, she's, maybe that's how she knows Daddy prays. Her car keeps starting, praise the Lord. Every time she turns the key, it keeps starting. But I just want them to know that, don't you? That the Lord was with them. I wonder if we could pray tonight here in closing and say to God, God, I want to leave that legacy. Lord, will you help me live in such a way? And by the way, isn't it interesting that in Joseph's life, it was, it, was, it was heathen, really. It was the enemy of God, Egypt. It was them that said, something's on that boy. Yeah, listen, Potiphar's life was blessed. Jacob, 
you remember when Jacob went and ended up working for his father-in-law, that's what his father-in-law said. He said, I have seen that we have been blessed since you came. And he didn't want him to leave. Now, we could talk about in-laws. And I started to jump up here. There's no better way to connect with a group of men than telling a good mother-in-law joke. And, uh, but the spirit was moving a little too good when I got up here and I forgot about it, to be honest with you. But we can talk about in-laws and how that all goes. And Jacob's in-law cheated him out of a lot of things. You know, he was, a, he was uh, you know, not honest with him. But even that guy said, I don't want you to leave because God blesses us because you're here. You know what they would have said? They would have said this. It was a good day in our life when you came into it, Jacob. When my time comes, I hope that my in-laws can look at my life and say, it was a good day in our life when you came into it. I hope that our church would say, it was a good day in our lives when you came into it. Not because I'm good, but because they saw that God came and done something while I was doing that. That's the way it was with Jacob. That's the way it was with Joseph right here. And these unsaved Egyptians noticed it and gave God the glory. And so let's just, brother, I don't know how you want to do your invitation, but you can go ahead and come. But I think what we ought to do, fellas, we just ought to kneel again before we leave and say, God, help me to live the kind of life that you are visible working in my life. And I don't want any glory, Lord, but I sure would love to leave the legacy that the Lord was with him. Father, I pray you'd bless us now in this time of invitation. I thank you for these men that have made an effort to come, for the good spirit that's been in this place tonight. Bless these thoughts from your word in Jesus' name. Amen.